0: Carol Zaleski is a professor of world religions at Smith College. She's a theologian, she's a writer, she's an author. One of the stories she tells is about sitting in her own church and her pastor was going to be preaching about transfiguration. And um, so he, he also had all these first graders in a row in the front of the church because they were getting ready in a few weeks to do their first communion. And so they had studied up on this story. They were ready. And so the pastor said, who was there? And the children said, Jesus and those other guys. Where did they go? They went up the mountain. What happened? Jesus got all sparkly and shiny. Excellent job, children. Then he spoke to the rest of the congregation, and as we do, he slipped into a more adult way of speaking maybe, and he said, now, obviously the disciples were astonished by what they had seen, obviously. And they, you know, they had no idea that what they were seeing was a, a preview of what was to come in the crucifixion and then resurrection. And as he was talking, one of those first graders raised her hand, And she said, what does obviously mean? Now, he was ready to explain the resurrection. For all I know, he was ready to explain the virgin birth. But he was not ready to be asked, what does obviously mean? And if you think about it for a minute, it might not be the easiest thing to explain to a first grader. Now, if you ask someone who's very skeptical about the Bible, about religion, um, about all of those things that we do here on Sunday morning, they would say about this story, obviously, it's all made up. I mean, obviously, it's just some kind of fantasy story that someone made up to make a point. And if you go all the way to the other end of the s- theological spectrum, to the very literal word-for-word church, they would say it's obviously a time when god was showing the people that something extraordinary was happening he was making jesus glow and then he was speaking out of the cloud all of those things to get the disciples attention and god wanted to to make them realize that god was getting ready to do something big and they should prepare themselves for it obviously and Jim and I are somewhere in between those two. (laughs) Unfortunately, we can't Google the before and after photos of what happened, so we can't see like a picture of Jesus in his sandals and his robe side by side on Instagram with a picture of him with all that light bursting out of his head like the paintings you've seen. I have a hunch though that what matters about this story, actually it's not a hunch, I'm pretty convinced, it's not what the disciples saw, or what the disciples heard, or what they thought, but how they felt in the experience and how they were changed by it. What they experienced that felt like just pure light, no shadows, no dark corners, no darkness, just all light, what that felt like. There's a rabbi in, New York, named Angela Budga, sorry, Buckdahl. She was actually born in South Korea, raised the first five years of her life as a Buddhist, then moved with her mother and father to New York, where she began attending her father's synagogue. She grew up to be a rabbi. She says we all have those moments when we stumble against something wondrous or transcendent, something that makes us gasp or that chokes us up, we stumble against it. And she says Judaism describes these moments as when heaven and earth touch. The rabbi explains that God doesn't just give us these experiences or create them or endow us with them, God is this experience. I think most of you know that the word transfigured means much more than transformed. It's, a, it's about a, a fundamental change, a, a transformation into something more beautiful, more elevated, more amazing. This story, more than anything else, just leaves us with this great sense of mystery, which is exactly what it did for Peter, James, and John as well. It's the climax of a series of stories that tell us about the identity of Jesus. Also in this story, as any good teacher knows, you try to um, engage as many senses as you can, right? And in this story, two of the five senses are engaged. They see what Jesus looked like. They hear the voice of God. And then, of course, they have this experience of the, the event. The scene is played out on a mountaintop, which is sort of a classic location for these meetings with God, these appearances of God, and there are all these narrative threads that are pulled from the Hebrew Bible, the First Testament. We have Moses and Elijah, and those are superstars of the Bible, right? So they're part of this, this narrative. And what we're seeing is, is Jesus uh, as, the, as the culmination of this God who comes again and again and again to save the people, to bring them to wholeness. But perhaps what's really most important about this story is that it demonstrates what is possible not only for Jesus, but for all of humanity. Samantha Savitz is two years old. She'd probably be in your Two Together class, Jamie, if she was here at First Community Church. She lives in Newton, Massachusetts, and she's deaf. Given that, though, she is a very talkative little girl. She's a chat box. She loves to engage with other people. She's very talkative. Her dad says she'll she'll chat with anybody she meets, but her face kind of drops, and she looks visibly sad when she realizes that they can't communicate with her. So this neighborhood in this small town of Newton, Mass, decided altogether that they would all learn American Sign Language. They went out and hired a teacher. And they meet in one of the homes on Islington Road every week, and they work with this sign language teacher. And Samantha's often there crawling around on the floor on their knees And the first word that she learned in American Sign Language, I mean, she had been learning it before, but once she got in this group was friend. And so she'll go up to people and say, hello, friend, and they can respond. The teacher, who's well-versed in the challenges of hearing impaired people, says he's absolutely convinced that this experience of this entire community pulling together to communicate with this little girl will ensure a happier better adjusted child now I put my own little tagline on this story as someone who raised a child from a two-year-old into adulthood And, you know, one of the things in community is accountability. And I just have this vision of in 13 or 14 years, when this child is a teenager, one of the neighbors coming over and saying in American Sign Language, you're not supposed to have people over when your parents are out of town. (laughs) Complete communication. It's a beautiful story. Her father says that Samantha's face literally lights up when she's able to communicate. Her face lights up. I think we can safely say, obviously, that many people in the Methodist Church are longing for transfiguration in their denomination this week. I'm guessing that most of you have probably seen the news The global church is deeply divided over two related issues. Number one, performing same-sex marriages in the church, and number two, ordaining openly gay clergy. I learned from my earliest days in ministry to say ordaining openly gay clergy because my classmates told me that the church has been ordaining gay clergy for the millennia. They just weren't allowed to be open about their true selves. The Methodist Church had its international meeting. They call it General Conference this week. And they voted not only to keep the ban in place, but also to actually tighten the restrictions. This is what what they call it the Book of Discipline. And it specifically says, the church's policy says the practice of homosexuality is incompatible with Christian teaching. Not going to lie, those words are even hard for me to read out loud. It is heartbreaking to see the anguish and the suffering that this divide has caused. I tend to see first, for myself, the suffering of the LGBTQ community that feels shunned by its denomination. But the truth is, folks, there is suffering and anguish on all sides. This is a broken situation that's causing a lot of hurt among a lot of people who see this from all angles and who dearly love their church. Here at First Community, We know that God's love and grace is for all people, regardless of who they love. I say that no longer as a member of the clergy staff here, but certainly as a member of First Community Church, which I still am, I can say that. We know that God rejoices in loving, respectful, committed relationships between two human beings. Nothing delights God more. Now, we don't take that position just because we're really nice people here. We take that position because we know that the primary message of the life of Jesus Christ, his teachings, and the whole biblical narrative is love. First and foremost, love. The transforming power of love and acceptance. Now, it is love with integrity, love with commitment, love with responsibility and accountability and reciprocity, all of those things, but it is love first and foremost. When all people are valued for exactly who they are, that is the moment where heaven and earth meet. As Jim has already said, Wednesday of this week is Ash Wednesday, the beginning of the season of Lent, the 40 days leading up to Easter, 40 days not including Sundays in case you're counting. So in the Bible story for today, we have this glorious and remarkable scene that leads us into Lent. But Jesus and his disciples have to come back down off that mountain. They've gotta come back to the world with all its injustice, all its discrimination, all of its bias and hurtful behavior a world that is going to ultimately reject his message of love and acceptance and take in its place the power and the violence that ended his life. Still, when you stumble against the divine, you will bear witness to transfiguration, and you will never be the same. One of the probably the most profound moments of my ministry happened 15 years ago when I was doing my clinical training at Children's Hospital. I was on call with the trauma team that day, and so your pager goes off and you leave what you're doing and head down to the trauma unit, which is part of the emergency department. When I arrived, there was a tiny baby receiving CPR tiny infant now when you do CPR on an infant you only use two fingers and from the outside it looks pretty gentle i don't imagine it is for the baby but it looks gentle you only press down about an inch into the body with two fingers and so when i was walked in there was this paramedic who was this big guy and His hands were almost the size of this baby, and he's just so gently doing these compressions on this baby. It turned out this was his first shift at Children's Hospital. And he's doing these compressions, and the baby's dad was close by, because that's how it's done at Children's. Parents aren't left out in the waiting room. In a critical condition, they're right there with their, well, in any condition, they're right there with their child. So he's got one hand on this baby. He turns around and sees the dad, kind of keeping his distance a little bit, and he puts his arm around him and draws him right in close. So he has one hand helping this baby's heart to beat, and the other arm around the baby's dad. I get chills up my spine just remembering that moment, let alone what it felt like to be there. In that moment, I knew that I was experiencing the presence of God. It was this remarkable intersection of technical skill and deep human caring that was being demonstrated by this paramedic. It was really sacred and this was obviously no mountaintop. I mean, this was the valley. By the time you get to the trauma unit at Children's Hospital, you are in the valley. I have to be honest with you, there's, there's so much that I don't, as vividly as I remember that moment, there's so much I don't remember about that day Honestly, I don't remember what the baby's injuries were or how the baby came to be at Children's Hospital. I don't even remember if it was a boy or a girl. I don't know if the baby recovered because with all the new privacy laws well, they're not new anymore, but with the privacy laws in a hospital, once the patient leaves your care, you no longer are privy to what's going on with them. The only thing I remember as vividly as it happened yesterday, is that I experienced that sacred place where heaven and earth meet. I saw that shining, transfiguring light of God coming from an ordinary man happening right amongst us. Obviously. That's what was going on. Amen.